So Numbers chapter 10, if you remember that quick outline for the book of Numbers, chapters 1 through 10, it's all of Israel's obedience to the Lord. So over here we're coming to the end of Israel being obedient to the Lord. Uh, next time we're together, I encourage you to read ahead Numbers chapter 11. That's when Israel's disobedience to the Lord begins. And that goes on from chapter 11 through chapter 25. Then there in chapter 26 through 36, we see Israel's second generation's renewed obedience to the Lord. So the Lord, he wipes out all of the generation of Israel. And then is this second generation and how they renew their obedience to the Lord. But hey, let's read here a bit. Numbers chapter 10. Verse uh, 1 through 5, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Make two silver trumpets for yourself. You shall make them of hammered work. You shall use them for calling the congregation and for directing the movement of the camps. When they blow both of them, all the congregation shall gather before you at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. But if they blow only one, then the leaders, the heads of the divisions of Israel, shall gather to you. When you sound the advance, the camps that lie on the east side shall then begin their journey. We'll read a little bit further here. Verse 6. Then when you sound the advance the second time, then the camps that lie on the south side shall begin their journey. They shall sound the call for them to begin their journeys. And when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but not sound the advance. The sons of Aaron... The priest shall blow the trumpets, and these shall be to you as an ordinance forever throughout your generations. So we have the nation of Israel here. We've talked about this giant camping trip, right? We have about two to three million Israelites. They've gone from their journey in Egypt. They're camped out here waiting at, the, at Mount Sinai, and they're getting their orders from the Lord. And God is preparing the nation of Israel. That's really what the past 10 chapters in the book of Numbers have all been about. It's the Lord preparing them for battle, for the warfare that's ahead. So here God instructs Moses, hey, make two silver trumpets. Again, it's two million people that they're trying to gather and direct. There's no cell phones. There's no beepers. Right? I don't know how many of you remember what a beeper is. The other day they're going to ministry applications. We used to ask people for their number to their beeper. But right, there's, there's no form of communication. So God said, hey, create these two trumpets and blow them to lead the people and tell them what to do. And different sounds would have different movement. Here what God is doing is he's providing tools for the leadership of his people so that they can clearly lead the people of God. It's difficult to be led when you don't clearly understand what they're asking you to do. Right? I don't know if you've ever been there where you have a leader and just like, just tell me what you want from me, right? Just tell me what you want. I think some of us may be in our marriage, maybe in our relationship, just like, just tell me whatever you want and I'll do it. But the, the importance of being able to clearly communicate. This is even though everyone could see the cloud moving and stopping. Yet for whatever reason, God likes to use people. It's just all throughout scripture. Everyone could see the cloud moving. And yet whose lungs were used to blow those trumpets? A human being. And even today, there are some that say organized church isn't biblical or leadership within church isn't biblical. But God, for whatever reason, I don't know why, he likes to call men to lead and he uses them to lead his people. 
So here Moses, his brother, right, Aaron and his sons, they were the ones that when they saw the Lord moving, they would blow the different trumpets for different reasons. We went through verses 3 through 8, and we see that the priests and all the people, they knew what each sound meant. I don't know if Moses had two million sheets printed out of what each sound meant, right? But they had different sounds, one for everyone coming and gathering together, two million people gathering together to listen to something, another sound for only a leader's meeting to come and approach him. They had another sound for the east tribe to begin picking up their stuff and moving, then another one for the south tribe, and they would continue on to be moving on. Verse 9, it says, When you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies. So in the future, when they would be at war in the promised land, they would blow the trumpet, and God is promising them that he would hear their cry. Have you ever wondered, God, why do you want me to pray if you already know what I'm going to pray? Have you ever wondered, has someone ever asked you that prayer? What's the point of that? God already knows what you're asking. But here, God totally knows that they're at war, and yet God would tell them, hey, sound the alarm, and when you sound the alarm, I will remember you. I will hear you, and I will save you from your enemies. The Lord oftentimes uses things like this to bring assurance to the nation of Israel and things to bring assurance to our own lives. God is reminding them, hey, when you blow that trumpet, I hear you. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, the great commission here, Jesus tells his disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Again, Jesus, he wants to bring you that assurance. That if you are his son or daughter, he is with you. And when you're at war, cry out for help. Just listening to a teaching this week, just the importance. We don't like to hear it, but God cannot save people that aren't asking to be saved. If we don't humble ourselves and cry out for help, it's just not going to happen. If we don't humble ourselves and repent, it's not going to happen. And it's the same thing here with the nation of Israel. They needed to cry out to the Lord when they were at war and with their enemies. And God promises them, hey, I'm going to hear you and I'm going to save you from your enemies. In verse 10, these trumpets, they're not just for war or for gathering people, but these trumpets are also for the day of their gladness, right? Also on the day of your gladness and your appointed feasts and at the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpets. Over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. And they shall be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. So they were given two silver trumpets to blow for many occasions. But also for the beginning of each month. Right? If some of us forget what month we're in now with phones and calendars. right? Imagine in ancient times. But also to blow trumpets during holidays and feasts and day of gladness. And one day for us, right, the bride, one day we're going to have a trumpet blast and it's going to signal our greatest day of joy and gladness. Right? Know where I'm going with this? Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first 
And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Again, two million people had to be ready at any moment when Aaron or his sons would blow that trumpet and they would have to begin to pick up their stuff. If not, they'd be left behind in the wilderness. Family, are you ready for that trumpet blast? Are you living in a manner that you are ready, that these words comfort you? Again, I'm sure none of you have ever been there, right? But in certain seasons of my life as a believer, it's just like, Lord, please don't come back right now. Please don't come back right now. Lord, can you wait a couple hours? Let me sober up a bit, right? Lord, can you come up in a couple days so I can ask for forgiveness and get right with you? But are we living in a manner that we're praying, Lord Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. It's really dependent on the way you're living and the compassion you have for your unsafe friends and family members. But may we, as much as depends on us, our lifestyle be lived in such a way that we're saying, Lord, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord, I'm ready right now. I don't have anything to hide, Lord. I don't have anything that I'm ashamed of, Lord. Please come today. Verse 11, it says, Now it came to pass on the 20th day of the second month, in the second year, that the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle of the testimony, and the children of Israel set out from the wilderness of Sinai on their journeys. Then the cloud settled down in the wilderness of Paran. So they started out for the first time, according to the command of the Lord, by the hand of Moses. Again, could you sense the excitement here? They're finally freed from Egypt. They're no longer slaves. They've been given orders from the Lord to build the tabernacle, how to create each instrument, when to go, how to go. They've built all of this. Everything's ready. And now's the first time that they're moving. And they're moving not as a mob of two million people, but they're moving in a specific and organized manner. We've touched on this throughout the book of Leviticus and the book of Numbers. God changes our lives, not from disorder to more disorder, but God changes our lives from disorder to order. God, he changes us. We go from being slaves of sin to slaves of God, to be friends of God, to be sons and daughters of God. We go from being blinded to being able to see. We go from being dead in our trespasses to having life and that abundantly. Again, the whole idea, hashtag God bless this mess, that's not biblical, right? That's not biblical. Some people, they want to stay in the same place and they make excuses for it. Hey, I'm just a human. Hey, I'm imperfect. No, duh, we're all imperfect, right? But God has called us to more holiness. We'll see later on. If you are saved, you are made to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And we don't see anywhere in the Gospels where Jesus is saying, God bless this mess, right? We just don't see that. We need to be made. We need to be conformed to the image of God. God has spent the last 10 chapters of the book of Numbers putting his people in order. That's what we've been reading through, right? It hasn't been a couple things exciting, but it's mostly been rules, regulations. Hey, these guys go, this guy's the line leader, right? It's like first day of preschool. This is what a line leader is. This is how you walk. That's what God's doing with his people. Uh, David Guzik, I love how he points out, these were not the same group of people that escaped Egypt like a mob. They were ordered and organized. They were cleansed and purified. 
They were set apart and blessed. They were taught how to give and how to function as priests. They were made to remember judgment spared and the deliverance that God brought for them. They were given God's presence as a guide and the tools needed to lead his people. Again, all of this preparation, all of this organization, did God just hand over the promised land to them? Did they just walk into the promised land and they were just given a deed and say, hey, this is all yours? No. Would they simply ask the pagan nations, hey, God said this is ours, could you move on and find somewhere else to go? No, God was preparing them for war. That's what God was preparing them for. Anyone here uh, in any of the armed forces? Anyone here gone through boot camp? Man, thank you for your service, each and every one of you. Was boot camp difficult? Yes. Is boot camp more difficult than live warfare? No, right? It's simulated. But some of us as believers, we're barely surviving the boot camp. God is just cleansing us. God is just purifying us. God is just bringing us up to speed. And we're saying, God, I don't want any more of this. The Lord is saying, this is just boot camp. We haven't even gotten to the real war yet. God is seeking to change us from the inside out. Yet, we still have a battle to fight. But we need to be prepared for it. What does battle look like for us today? Are we trying to take over? Are we to march into Canada or Mexico and say this land is for the Lord? Right? Warfare looks very different for us in the New Testament. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 6. Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. In reading this list of things in warfare, most of the warfare is with the inward man. Most of the warfare that we're, bite, that we're fighting, right? Sometimes you got to bite in warfare, right? Biting and fighting. Most of the warfare that we're in is with the man in the mirror. So often we're looking at everybody else and we're pointing the finger. That's the warfare. That's the warfare. No, no, no. The majority of the warfare we're in is with the person in the mirror, Yes, we need to cast down arguments. Yes, we need to pull down strongholds. But every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, if we're honest, do we not exalt ourselves and our opinions and our ideas over God himself? Lots of times. Bringing every thought into captivity. We're not trying to grab other people's thoughts and bring them into captivity. It's our own thoughts, our own minds that wander. Being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Right? Are we there? Are we ready for this war? Have we survived boot camp yet? Romans chapter 1 verse 21. Again, scary portions of scripture. Most of the time, if I'm honest, I read this thinking about the U.S. But how this applies to my heart. Romans chapter 1 verse 21. He says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Hey, I may know God, but am I glorifying Him as God 
Is he truly God within my life? My marching orders, my plans, my purposes, my ideas, are they my own ideas, my own desires, my own thoughts? Or am I saying, Lord, you're the God of my life. Whatever you say, Lord, that's what I'm going to do. Or even just being thankful for God and what God has done in our life. Where are we at in this battle? God, he's taking us through this intense training. He's taking us through this intense boot camp. But then he takes us into battle. Glory be to God. He gives us times of refreshing, right? Psalm 23. Sometimes he makes us to lie down by still water. Sometimes that's enjoying. You're on the hammock right by the water. Sometimes your legs get broken. Then you're by the water fountain, right? Some of us, we've been there. You're laying on your back in the hospital bed. And you're saying, all right, Lord, next time I'll sit in the hammock when you tell me to sit, right? We've been there. But it's just this cycle that happens. We go to war. We go through times of refreshing. And then we go to boot camp. And it's just that cycle over and over and over again that we need to be in. We go back to Numbers chapter 10. And we see them out on their first march. We won't go too in depth to this next section. We looked at it earlier in Numbers chapter 2 verse 3. Uh, But back to Numbers 10 verse 14. It tells us the standard of the camp of the children of Judah set out first according to their armies. Over their army was Nashon, the son of Aminadab. So they begin to march out for the first time. Instead of just being this big mob of two million people, they're going in order. Judah, you go first, right? And they're being obedient to the order that God had given them back in Numbers chapter 2, verse 3. From then on, you see the order. We looked at that already. So now we're going to jump down to verse 28. So we got the 12 tribes, their leaders, one by one, all going out from east to south to west to north. Verse 28, thus was the order of march of the children of Israel according to their armies when they began their journey. So again, we've gone through 10 chapters. Now's when they begin their journey. We've gone through this whole order of who's going, hey, it's your turn, it's your turn. And now this is just when they begin their journey. I don't know if you've ever gotten ready for a road trip, and it seems like the mission of just packing the car, you're already tired, right? You're already tired. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. But man, you're loading the car. I, have to, I don't put on the clothes I'm going to wear for the car ride until after the car's packed. Because especially in Miami, I'll be drenched in sweat by the time I'm done packing the car. And you're just exhausted. The trip hasn't even started to the actual trip, to the actual destination, and you're already exhausted. Sometimes we carpool driving to the ranch or different areas with the young adults, and it's 10, 15, 20 vehicles caravanning. And man, just the exhaustion of that, the logistics of that. And yet there's 2 million people here. And how God is going to lead them, He's going to guide them, But their hearts, they're still far from him. There's still a whole lot of Egypt that God needs to get out of their hearts. Verse 29 through 32 just uh, ministered to me a lot. We'll read through it. It says, Now Moses said to Hobab, the son of Reuel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, We are setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will treat you well. For the Lord has promised good things to Israel. And he said to him, I will not go, but I'll I'll depart to my own land and to my relatives. So Moses said, please do not leave. And as much as you know how we are to camp in the wilderness, and you can be our eyes. And it shall be if you go with us, 
Indeed, it shall be that whatever good the Lord will do to us, the same we will do to you. So much we can unpack here. But we see Moses, being a godly leader, knows the blessings that God has in store for Hobab if he stays with him and with the people of Israel. And that's what a godly leader does. He's not able to just see today what's happening, but he's able to look at others and their life and their trajectory in life if they walk in obedience to the Lord. Moses can also see the blessing that Hobab can be to the people of Israel. The blessing they can be to God and the blessings that God has in store for him. But he has to be with God's people. That's just where the blessings are. It's, it's when you're in the will of God. We know that Christ loves the bride. He loves the church. And if we're not involved with church, there's only a certain measure of blessing that you can really receive from the Lord. But Moses, he's also revealing to us that our lives are not just about us. Moses is not asking him to stay because of the benefit that he could be to Moses. But Moses wants him to stay because of the benefits God has in store for him and the benefits that he can be for the nation of Israel. And that's what godly men and women do. We don't just look at what's most convenient for me or what's just going to bless me. We should be looking at others and saying, hey, God has these blessings in store for you. Hey, if, if you want to plug in here and, and bless God's people, there's going to be so much blessing for you. You go out on a mission trip, you save your thousands of dollars, you spend it all, and you think, man, I'm giving this all up for the Lord. And then you come back and you're just blown away at how the Lord wants to minister to you, how the Lord wants to love you. But we as believers, when was the last time you asked someone, hey, come with me? Hey, Come with us. Biblically, that's what we should be doing. That's what George was sharing last Wednesday. We should be sharing the gospel, not just at people. Hey, here's the gospel and you go run with it. We should be grabbing people and saying, hey, come with me. Come share life with me. Again, our lives are not about us. Jesus didn't come to save you so that you could be more in love with yourself. Jesus didn't save you so you could be more comfortable. Jesus saved you so you'd be about his work and the work in other people's lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we could turn there. Paul, once again here, first letter to the church of Corinth, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. Paul tells them, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Again, Scripture tells us plainly that our lives are not our own. We, I, have been bought and purchased, and the one who has purchased me is the one who brings me to heaven where he is when I die. My purpose is not to glorify myself. My purpose is not to bring comfort to myself. My purpose is to glorify God and to be conformed to the image of his son. That's, again, what, what is sexual immorality? It's just self-pleasing. Why do people have sex outside of marriage? To please themselves. It's not because they love somebody else. It's because they just want to please themselves. 
right? This whole month of pride, of sin. What is it? They want to please themselves. Pornography, masturbation, all that stuff. It's just about pleasing yourself. Our lives, if you're saved, it's not about pleasing yourself. It's about glorifying God and pleasing Him and being conformed to the image of His Son. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. If you're here and you're saying, I'm saved, then you've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. How are you doing on that, right? It's our whole goal in life, if you're saved, is to look more and more like Jesus. To be in the same image of Christ. How are we doing in that? And we know Jesus, throughout the Gospels, would tell disciples, come and follow me. He didn't say, hey, come and follow that other guy, right? They didn't do that. Hey, come and go follow John the Baptist. No, he'd say, come and follow me. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul tells the church of Corinth, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. In the King James Version, he says, Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. The NIV says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So all that to say, who are you asking to come with you along the journey following the Lord? Who are you asking to come along with you on the journey towards the promised land? towards life and blessing, what we've seen in Psalm chapter 1. When was the last time you came to someone and said, hey, come, the Lord has so much to bless you with. The Lord has so much he wants to give you. The Lord wants to use you in such amazing ways to bless his people. When was the last time we did that? That should be within our heart. Moses being a godly man, Moses being a good leader, a godly leader, is able to see this brother-in-law, right? And say, hey, come with us. We're going to treat you well, right? A church shouldn't be getting beat up in church, right? Or more exhausted serving at church. No, you should be treated well. God has promised good things to Israel. And does a good leader just take no for an answer the first time? Here we see he doesn't. He comes back to him again and says, man, don't leave. Come with us. God can use you. God can use you in the wilderness. Who's the one leading them? It's God. It's the pillar by night and the pillar by day. And yet he's still asking him, hey, come. God wants to use you in this journey. If you come with us, hey, whatever good God has for us, he's going to do the same to you. And it's not just God's going to do the same, but at the end of verse 32, what does he say? The same we will do to you. Our role as a body of Christ is not, hey, God, you go bless them. It's no, God, I am going to go bless them. Lord, let me go and bless them. Lord, you've given me so much. Let me go and bless someone else. Now we come to verse 33. It says, So they departed from the mountain of the Lord on a journey of three days. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them for the three days journey to search out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was above them by day, and they went out from the camp. This is such great instruction on how we should live our lives. You see, the nation of Israel did not just guess where God was moving them. The presence of God moved with them, and then they knew that God was telling them to pack up and to go. And with this style of leading and guiding, the Spirit of the Lord was always at the center of their journey. The Lord wasn't behind them. The Lord wasn't way ahead of them. 
But the Lord was with them there at the center of the journey. The Ark of the Covenant, right, it represents the throne room of God, the presence of God, and they would have the presence of God leading them along their journey. If you remember back in Exodus chapter 33, verse 15, one of my favorite uh, portions of Scripture, Moses tells God, right, he says, Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. God, if your presence isn't going with us, do not bring us up from here. We were mentioning this in the, in the pastor's meeting. We were talking, and throughout Scripture, God's leading doesn't lead people to just comfort. God's leading throughout God's Word usually leads to discomfort, leads to pain, leads to war, leads to difficulty. If you look at Paul, it leads to shipwreck, right? It leads to difficulty, If God's truly leading in your life, again, it's not just for more comfort. It's not just for loving yourself more. God leads us to be able to share the gospel with people. God leads us to bless others. God leads us so that we can be conformed more and more to his image. So if we are making decisions just based on what's going to be the most comfortable thing to me, man, seek the Lord and see who, if that's biblical, right? I'll give you a quick answer. No, it's not. It's not. Our comfort should not be our God. And oftentimes in America, that's exactly who our God is. Whatever is most comfortable. We don't want to be guessing, hey God, is this your will or is this not your will? We want to be biblical. Follow scripture. He wants you to be holy as he's holy. He wants you to be fleeing immorality. That's God's will in your life. But if it's a decision on where to go, what to do, don't just guess and then afterwards say, hey God, is this where you wanted me? How can you be led? You could be led and you can be guided where his presence is at the center of the journey. Is his presence going with you? We looked at that two weeks ago. Is the peace of God ruling and reigning in your heart? Are you truly following the peace of the Lord here? Finally, verse 35 and 36, it says, So it was, whenever the ark set out, that Moses said, rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. Frederick Douglass, he said, there is no progress without struggle. There's no progress without struggle. And here God, he's given them this 10-chapter boot camp, right? This 10-chapter putting them into order. And now he's getting them ready to go into a land where they're going to be praying, God, rise up and let your enemies be scattered. In other words, if you're going to grow with God, there will be difficulty. That's why if you're just chasing comfort and you're fleeing from difficulty, you're not going to grow. You're not going to grow in life. You're not going to grow with the Lord. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be battles. There's going to be prayers. Lord, let your enemies be scattered as we're following and growing with the Lord. And what a good prayer here. This is an amazing prayer for us to pray every time we go somewhere, every time we get home, every time we're driving away from the house, right? Lord, rise up. Let your enemies be scattered and let those who hate you flee before you. But realize here, which enemies is Moses praying for? The Lord's enemies. If I'm honest, oftentimes I say, Lord, please let my enemies flee from me, right? This guy's annoying and obnoxious. Lord, let him flee from me, right? That's not our prayer. Our prayer should be, Lord, may your enemies be scattered. Because sometimes the people that are just being annoying and obnoxious, you don't know what's really going on there, right? 
You don't know what's going on in their life. So may our prayer not be so much of our own enemies or those people that are mean to us, those people that don't like us. No, may our prayer be, Lord, let your enemies be scattered. Lord, let those who hate you flee before you. Finally, verse 36 says, And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. That's every time they would stop, he would cry out, God, this is where we're camping. Please stay here with us. Again, back to that prayer. Lord, if your presence does not go with us, we don't want to move from here. Again, is God's presence there in your decision making? Where you're at right now, do you have the peace of God? Where you're at right now, do you have the presence of God in your life? And if you don't, again, at the end, worship team, be ready. You're coming up here quick, right? The whole mindset is, Lord, I want to be in your presence. All of heaven is about what? The presence of God. We need to be in God's presence. Our decisions, are we in the peace of God? Do we have the peace of God? Are we in God's presence? One of my favorite verses, especially when people ask, hey, this, hey, should I do this? Should I do that? Lots of times God gets blamed for a lot of things. Right? I've been there before. Hey, this is what God wants me to do. Plans completely changed. God, he didn't change his mind. It's just me that got it wrong. But in Luke chapter 7, verse 35, Jesus says, but wisdom is justified by all her children. Right? Oftentimes you say, hey, this is God's leading in my life, but now I'm in sin. Now I'm more anxious. Now I'm depressed. Now I have no peace of God in my life. We need to be honest enough with ourselves and sit back and look at our decision and say, okay, was this really the Lord? And again, don't condemn yourself, but just learn from that. Learn to grow in that. Okay, God, this wasn't your leading. This wasn't your guiding. Lord, show me where you want me to go from here. And God, please, I want your presence with us. Uh, one of the most important chapters when it comes to not allowing our mistakes to rule over us and destroy us, it's with Joshua, and I believe it's the Amalekites, right? They sneak on Joshua, they lie to him, Joshua makes a promise, and they completely blew him off, and he did the wrong thing. They tricked him, they got all their moldy bread, they got all their old sandals, all their old clothes, and they said, we're a bunch of weak people, and they tricked Joshua. Did Joshua just mourn and weep? Did Joshua just tumble into a, a pool of self-pity? No, Joshua realized his mistake, and then he put his mistake to work for him. He got those in and said, okay, now you're going to be our slaves. Now you're going to be the ones to cut our wood. You're going to be the ones to work hard, and that's what we need to do. We all make mistakes. No one gets it right. Look at everyone in Scripture, but don't just now tumble into self-pity. Allow your previous mistakes to be a fire in your belly to search after God all the more, to seek him all the more. Charles Spurgeon here closing, he says, Will you and I go home and pray this prayer by ourselves, fervently laying hold upon the horns of God's altar? I charge you, my brethren in Christ, do not neglect this private duty. Go, each of you, to your chambers, shut your doors, and cry out to him who hears in secret. And let this be the burden of your cry. Rise up, O Lord, and let thy enemies be scattered. Can we need to be praying, family. That's the power of the church. That's the power in our lives. It is prayer. So, hey, may we be following the Lord and his presence in our lives. May we be grabbing somebody else, right? Hey, come follow me as I follow Christ. That's what discipleship is. Today, what does discipleship mean? It's apprenticeship. That's all it is. 
And a good apprenticeship, you're working there with whoever your master, whoever your leader is. Who is leading you? And who are you leading in the things of Christ? 